457-2995. A link to instructions, which includes the listening over the web and submitting written comments, is available through WBAI's main webpage. And if you miss an LSB meeting, you can listen afterwards by going to pacifica.org. The time now is 5 p.m. Stay tuned for Driving Forces coming up. This is WBAI New York 99.5 FM and WBAI.org online. Stay tuned. Welcome back to WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live via WBAI.org. This is Driving Forces, a weekly show that dives into the big issues affecting our city, our state, and our country. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston here, as always, with Jeff Simmons. How are you doing today, Jeff? I'm doing fine, Celeste. Wonderful to be back together again on this day. Uh, Obviously, a lot going on in the news. Definitely a lot going on today. Glad everybody can be with us today. And we're going to be talking about a story that's captured a lot of headlines, uh, not just in New York, but nationwide. Of course, that is the uh, sexual harassment allegations against Governor Andrew Cuomo. New York always matters in national news, but that became hyper true, I think, during the coronavirus pandemic. The city was an early epicenter for sickness and death due to COVID-19. And early on, I think we can agree that Governor Cuomo got a lot of accolades for being a voice of both calm and authority in the face of a truly terrible crisis. Now, of course, more recently, a lot of that has changed. So what we're really looking at right now is a double scandal. Uh, First came a lot of questions about how COVID-related nursing home deaths were reported or underreported, with numbers being much higher than the Cuomo administration had led the public to believe. And then more recently came these public accusations of sexual harassment or inappropriate conduct by Governor Cuomo. Uh, from at least three women, Lindsay Boylan, who is a former New York Deputy Secretary of Economic Development, another former aide, Charlotte Bennett, and a third woman, Anna Ruck, who said that Cuomo made an inappropriate advance toward her at a wedding reception in 2019. So now already there are some calls for the governor to resign, which he has said he won't do, uh, and other moves to curtail his powers at governor. And Jeff, as you know, we have tried a number of times, but most recently we invited Governor Cuomo on, or somebody from his administration to address these concerns here on WBAI today. Nobody took us up on that offer. So before we go into our discussion, let's just hear a quick clip of what Governor Cuomo himself had to say at Wednesday's press briefing. I now understand that I acted in a way that made people feel uncomfortable. It was unintentional, and I truly and deeply apologize for it. I feel awful about it, and frankly, I am embarrassed by it. And that's not easy to say. But that's the truth. But this is what I want you to know, and I want you to know this from me directly. I never touched anyone inappropriately. I never touched anyone inappropriately. I never knew at the time that I was making anyone feel uncomfortable. I never knew at the time I was making anyone feel uncomfortable. And I certainly never, ever meant to offend anyone or hurt anyone or cause anyone any pain. That is the last thing I would ever want to do. 
I ask the people of this state to wait for the facts from the Attorney General's report before forming an opinion. Get the facts, please, before forming an opinion. And the Attorney General is doing that review. I will fully cooperate with it. And then you will have the facts. And that was Governor Cuomo yesterday speaking, I believe. Uh, and Josefa, our first guest, will be able to tell us. Uh, I do, do not believe he had a news conference today. And uh, we're going to get to the guest in just a moment. And later on in the show, we will give you more details on what I'm about to say, because what just hit our inbox right before this show was a new poll from Quinnipiac University. And very, very briefly, uh, New York voters say that uh, 55 to 40 percent that Cuomo should not resign, but 59 to 36 percent say they would not like to see Andrew Cuomo run for reelection in 2022. Uh, that is a, a poll that just came out from Quinnipiac University this afternoon. And later on in the show, we'll give you more details on that. But right now, Joining us to explain more about what has been going on with Governor Cuomo and all these allegations is Josefa Velazquez, state capital reporter for The City, which is a nonprofit, nonpartisan digital news platform that focuses on accountability reporting. Josefa, welcome to WBAI. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's been a wild last few days, that's for sure. I feel like I know you having watched so many of the press conferences over the last year on TV and seeing the back of your head, actually, at a number of them. But this was a pretty dramatic news conference that the governor held on Wednesday. What did he say and why do you think he waited so long to say it? So this is the first uh, public news conference the governor has had since the sexual harassment allegations surfaced. We've become used to seeing the governor uh, all throughout the pandemic, every single day on our TVs. Um, and more recently, like a couple times a week where he gives us a COVID-19 briefing. Uh, so this was really the first time we got to hear from the governor about what he made of all of these accusations. And at this point, there's been uh, three women who allege that the governor has uh, sexually harassed them, uh, two of which are former uh, employees. And one was a wedding guest. And, you know, a lot of what the governor said was a conditional apology. He's sorry he made anyone feel bad um, and said that he didn't mean to offend uh, any of these women. The notable part is that the governor appeared to only apologize to one former employee, not both, uh, which has been interesting, to say the least. Yeah, that that certainly is very interesting. And Josefa, welcome to the program. Um, I'm curious to know, so what kinds of reactions have you been hearing to this conditional, as you say, apology? Um, and, and also, how, how do people feel about uh, the governor advising people to to hear the facts before, you know, sort of making a decision about about what happened here? So I think the people who were critical of the governor before these allegations came out have continued to be critical of him and have asked for his resignation. Um, and then there are those who are taking the wait and see approach, which is what the governor has asked them to do. Um, but a lot of women, uh, particularly those in the gender advocacy space, are saying, well, this apology and this quote-unquote contrition isn't enough. You're not actually apologizing for what you did. You're apologizing if you made someone feel bad, which, you know, in the me post-Me Too era that we're in, doesn't seem to be enough. And the governor's briefing yesterday, they're done virtually because of the pandemic. You know, he didn't answer any questions from the reporters that have covered him for the last few years. So we couldn't really dig into what he's apologizing for necessarily and whether or not he did some of the things that he's been alleged of doing including grabbing someone uh grabbing someone's face which there's a picture of and trying to kiss her forcibly kissing another aide and making sexual comments to another one so you know i think the next couple of days we'll sort of pledge we'll see what what arises and if anything coalesces 
solidly. And Celeste asked about the kinds of reactions you've been hearing. What's been interesting, what we've been observing is among his allies, who are traditional allies, who has spoken out against this, who has challenged him. I mean, one that Celeste and I had been paying attention to to see if she would weigh in was Kirsten Gillibrand. Now, I did see she did a podcast interview with a a Jewish news outlet today in which she said she supported the uh, attorney general's uh, decision on this or the action on this on on proceeding forward. But what are you hearing from or about the kind of support he's getting and not getting? Sure. So another uh, person who was notable uh, was Kathleen Rice, who's a congresswoman from Long Island. She has long wanted the attorney general position uh, and has been an ally of the governor's. And she was, I think, the first member of Congress to call on his resignation, which is huge. Um, And there have been more progressive state lawmakers who immediately uh, called for the governor's resignation as well. But then you have people like Jay Jacobs, who runs the state Democratic uh, committee, who's a longtime Cuomo ally, who I think on New York One had said, let's wait and see what comes of this investigation and that you need to have hard, tough skin to be in Albany. Of course, those comments are a bit toned up considering the gravity of the situation and the implications of uh sexual harassment and what that does to a person's career and what that does to them emotionally. This is Driving Forces on WBAI. We're speaking to Josefa Velasquez, state capital reporter for the city, about the scandal or scandals involving New York State Governor Andrew Cuomo. Uh, Josefa, what is your sense of uh, how far or how uh, how this inquiry will work? One of the things that I've seen that I've been interested in knowing more about is whether uh, Governor Cuomo himself will have to testify as part of this. How do you see all this going down? So I think with any inquiry, it's probably going to take some time. I don't think we'll have a resolution you know, this weekend or maybe even next week. So the attorney general's office uh, has been empowered to do this independent investigation, which means that they get to hire an outside law firm to start uh, working on this. And from what I've been told, uh, the administration is supposed to be cooperating with this. That means all staff and the governor himself. So... At the end of this investigation, there is supposed to be a report that is made public, uh, and then we'll get to see to which extent it, did the governor testify, uh, whether or not uh, what records were subpoenaed, because this investigation does have subpoena power. So it might unearth some things that we didn't know about yet or and are worse or better. Who knows? And I know Jeff has a, a follow-up question for you, but I just wanted to jump in with one thing, which is it's probably worth pointing out that the way this inquiry is going to work is not the original way the governor wanted this inquiry to work. Is that is that accurate? Yeah, it was a, uh, a really hectic weekend. There was a lot of whiplash. Initially, the governor wanted uh, Barbara Jones, who's an outside uh, lawyer, to investigate uh, these allegations, but then there were there was immediate blowback because it turns out that Jones is closely connected to one of the governor's longtime friends and allies, uh, Steve Cohen, a different, not the Met Steve Cohen, but a different <laughs> one. Um, and then the governor's office came back and said, okay, well, we want the chief judge of New York's highest court, Janet DeFiore, and the state attorney general to investigate this. But again, because there's only six people in New York, the chief judge was appointed by the governor and has close ties with him. Uh, and that at that point, the investigation wouldn't have had subpoena power. So, again, after a lot of back and forth, ultimately, the attorney general's office was granted the thing that they wanted to begin with. You know, what's interesting, Josefa, is as I've been following the coverage over this last week, I'm, I'm actually, you know, noticing how uh, a lot of what has been known, maybe not fully by the public, but about 
uh, by those in the inner circle, those who cover politics, uh, particularly a number of reporters, is about the demeanor of those around the governor as well as far as uh, some of the stories I've talked about, bullying that has gone on. And this has become much more public in the last few days as well. There was one quote, there's no right or wrong way, it's the Cuomo way. I remember being uh, you know, part of a campaign that got a very a rough phone call from uh, one of his top aides, Joe Prococo, back in, uh, what was that, 05 or 06, uh, Celeste was covering this campaign, because they were irate, the governor, well, not governor then, but he was running for AG, they were irate that my candidate, David Patterson, then said something nice about his competitor, Janine Pirro, at that time. What, you know, I'm sure more of these stories are going to come to light, but are you also hearing more of those about the bullying efforts uh, among those around him? Yeah. And, you know, like you said, it's been an open secret. Uh, You know, there's the television Cuomo that America fell in love with during the pandemic. And then there's the Andrew Cuomo that the reporters who have covered him up in Albany know. And I think this goes back to something that an aide said years and years ago, which you guys would probably remember, that the Cuomo administration gets along at two speed or it's get along or kill. Um, and, you know, the kill portion of it is the one that reporters know most and that lawmakers know. It's, you know, it's hard to differentiate and make and realize that this behavior isn't common uh, because it, it, it is what Albany is. It's people calling you to threaten you, to yell at you for your story and call your editors. Um, and for lawmakers, it's, you know, part of the job to get calls from the governor's office uh, berating them. So when that's your normal, uh, it's hard to realize that, okay, maybe this isn't so normal after all. And I think you're going to be seeing over the next few days how far things went in that administration, uh, what the bullying was like for uh, people who worked there and the circumstances that they had to work under. which, you know, in recent days have really come to the forefront of just how bad they are. Yeah, I think I, I think that any of us who have uh, covered or worked in and covered Albany can certainly attest to that. I I, I have a fondness for our uh, our FCC license, so I won't repeat some of the language, <laughs> but I I have certainly been on the receiving end of that phone call, and uh, I remember it well. Um, you know, as far as, you know, changing the, maybe changing the, the tone or changing the norms surrounding, uh, state government or the administration might be one thing, but I did want to ask you, Josefa, about what you thought about, uh, what could happen with efforts to actually curtail Governor Cuomo's executive power? I think there's some there's some movement on that coming up pretty imminently. I've seen a bunch of conflicting reports, though, on what exactly that would mean. Right. So the legislature this weekend uh, came up with a plan to, uh, like you said, curtail the governor's executive powers that were granted to him about a year ago at this point um, that gave him really broad unilateral powers to make decisions about the pandemic uh, and responses uh, to the growing, at that point, COVID numbers. Uh, and really, that meant a lot of things. It meant, uh, you know, directives to hospitals and shutting down sectors of the economy. Um, so now the legislature wants to move to scale those back. Uh, the interesting thing was that the legislature made it clear that package that they're going to be presenting that curtail the governor's powers were done without the governor. It's the Senate and the Assembly, which both have super majorities that are Democrats and they're um, passing this. But the governor yesterday in his uh, briefing said, no, well, I was in consultation. Uh, my office was consulted about this and, you know, we're working on this together, to which, again, the back and forth uh the legislature said, you know, what are you talking about? You were not part of this. Um, And, you know, it's hard to say what happens next because the legislature can easily pass it and the governor vetoes it. And then we're going to be see whether or not the legislature will override that veto, which they can finally do um, as a unified party for the first time in decades. 
So we've only got about uh, about two minutes left, Josefa. I'm really curious what you think this means for Governor Cuomo's status as a star in national politics and his prospects going forward. Does this end his career? You know, I think nationally um, we're seeing a lot of this stuff play out in the media itself. Uh, news outlets that don't typically cover Albany are suddenly focused on this. Um, so it could ding his national profile, you know, whether or not this ends his political career, it's really possible. You know, all you need is more women or people coming forward with accusations for him to be forced to resign or step down. Um, and you know, who knows if he does stay on, whether he runs for a fourth term, which is something that he's indicated he's wanted to do and following what his father couldn't do. Josefa, how can we read more about you and your work continuing coverage of uh, Governor Cuomo and uh, everything else that you're working on? Sure. So you can read uh, more about the stuff that we're writing about at thecity.nyc or feel free to give me a follow at on Twitter at J underscore underscore Velasquez. Great. Thank you so much, Josefa Velasquez of The City. Really appreciate you coming on, uh, joining us today on Driving Forces. Thanks a lot. Really appreciate it. You're listening to WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. This is Driving Forces. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston here with Jeff Simmons. We just heard from Josefa Velasquez. She's state capital reporter for the city. We're talking about the double whammy scandals embroiling Governor Andrew Cuomo and his administration. So to uh, we are turning in a moment uh, to take a slightly different tack on uh, – one of those scandals, which would be the allegations of sexual harassment, we're going to be talking hopefully with uh, Emily May, who is co-founder and executive director of the anti-harassment group Hollaback. And we wanted to talk to her uh, about this here on BAI because harassment obviously is a bigger problem than one administration or one political party or, you know, uh, one governor, one state. And we should all know more about how to deal with it. So I think actually we're going to jump right in. Uh, Emily May, co-founder and executive director of Hollaback. Thanks for joining us here today on Driving Forces. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Pleasure to be here. Great. So maybe just to start out, tell us real quick, you know, what is Hollaback? Who is it for? And what do you do? Yeah, we are a global people-powered movement to address harassment in all of its forms. So we're looking at harassment that's racist or sexist, homophobic, ableist, and we're looking at it in all of the places where it happens, like the streets, online, and workplaces. And we're coming up with solutions, and we're training people on how to intervene when they see harassment happening and how to respond to it when it happens to them. Emily, this is Jeff Simmons. Your website talks quite a bit about street and online harassment, but sometimes the lines can be blurry. So what in your research or your messaging can our listeners carry over to if they experience harassment in the workplace or at a social event? Yeah, so we have done a lot of work in the workplace, especially over the past three or four years in the wake of Me Too. Um, and when we go into workplaces, you know, we advise folks to really look into a bystander intervention strategy. So what do you do when you see harassment happening? Because frankly, I think a lot of the systems in place whether it be HR departments, investigations, laws, they're broken systems. And so we need to figure out how do we create a culture where harassment doesn't happen to begin with, how we support each other, and not just look to fixing those broken systems, although certainly fixing them is an important thing to do as well. I'm glad you brought that up, Emily. This is actually something you and I have uh, talked about pretty recently um, when I, I did a piece on uh, bystander intervention for uh, Cosmopolitan. That was a little bit more geared towards the unfortunate spate of anti-Asian hate crimes and incidents that we have seen in New York and, and elsewhere. But, you know, maybe translating that a little bit for, for today's topic, you know, tell us a little bit about uh, what our listeners should know if they do observe harassment, any form of harassment. And, and you know, how do they know when it's appropriate to get involved and how to do that in a smart way. Yeah. So a lot of folks when it comes to bystander intervention in the workplace, I think they really have a lot of concerns about retaliation um, and a lot of concerns about rupturing their relationships in the workplace as well. 
Um, and so all of our tactics, we have an approach called Holoback 5Ds of bystander intervention. Four of them are indirect, but all of them are designed to really keep you safe and employed and your relationships um, at work intact. So briefly, the first one is distract, creating a distraction. So we see this happen in meetings all the time. Like, all right, let's take five a break in the action, or somebody, you know, spilling their water on a table, right? Those kinds of distractions, um, you know, can create a break in the moment that allow a moment for people to check themselves and the harassment to stop. Delegating to folks, whether it's an HR department or your coworker. The third one is document. So obviously, if you're going to move into uh, an HR process, having documentation, who, what, when, there, who, what, when, where is critical. Um, so ha- being a, as a bystander, documenting what you see and giving it to the person who experienced the harassment can be really key and supportive. The fourth one is delay, just checking in with that person after it happened. Are you okay? Maybe it's sending them a direct message over Zoom while you're still in the meeting. And the last one is direct, directly setting a boundary with the person doing the harassing but not getting into a back and forth. And, of course, that boundary could look like, hey, you know, give her some space. Like, let her, you know, finish what she's saying. Or it could look like something like, you know, what do you mean when you say the words, you know, uh, Chinese virus, for example, right? What do you mean by that? In hopes that people will catch themselves, right? Um, and so, you know, I think when, when we look at bystander intervention, we're looking at a whole slate of tactics, but we're not looking at anything that's going to escalate the situation. Um, and all of these tactics are designed to minimize your risk. And given the fact that these tactics are something people should think about, at the same time, many are afraid to speak up for some reason or another. What is it that prevents people that from stepping forward, that you know, stops them from distracting, delegating, documenting, delaying, and directing? You know, I think the number one thing when it comes to those forms of bystander intervention is that people just aren't taught. We're not taught what to do. Our sexual harassment trainings are like all about the laws and how not to get your company in trouble by, uh, by doing the things that are against the law in the workplace. Um, we're not taught how to take care of each other in a meaningful way, even though it's so instinctual to us. Um, certainly, though, I think broadly without that training, people are scared to step up because they're scared it means that they're going to be in a confrontation or they're going to be seen as a troublemaker. You know, I even heard from, um, you know, an employee that we trained that she stepped up so often to intervene when she saw other people in her workplace being harassed or disrespected. She got worried she was going to be the troublemaker. So instead, she started delegating it to other people, you know, and the people might not even know that they were in on it. They, You know, she'd be like, hey, uh, Bob, can you go and get Cindy for me? I have a question to ask her because she saw Cindy being, you know, harassed or disrespected in another room. Bob would go and get Cindy, not even knowing that he was, you know, a bystander in this situation just because she'd asked him to. Right. And so, you know, I think there's a lot of creative ways that we can um, support each other in a meaningful way in the workplace, help to disrupt the harassment while it's happening that maybe we haven't even thought of. We're talking to Emily May. She is the co-founder and executive director of Hollaback, which is an anti-harassment group. And Emily, I wanted to ask you about something that's kind of related to the, the situation that we're talking about with the allegations against Governor Andrew Cuomo here in New York. I know we're having a, a rather more general discussion, but certainly if you want to weigh in on any of that, you can. But uh, in some of the coverage that we've seen now that more people are starting to talk about this, they talk about sort of a culture that exists in New York state government, Uh, you know, a a different sense of what is normal that might include bullying or accepting bullying, dressing a certain way, behaving a certain way, accepting certain kinds of behavior. Uh, Do you find that uh, generally in harassment, this is something that that we need to talk about more, the idea that Sometimes we we get sort of accustomed to these things and start to either think they're okay or think it's our job to sort of uh, be tough and deal with it. Absolutely. You know, harassment is so normalized. Um, I even had, you know, a woman come up to me sometime at one point after I, you know, gave a talk and she was like, 
no, I think you just haven't, she's trying to coach me. She's trying to be supportive. But she was like, I think you just haven't really figured out how to use sexual harassment to your benefit, right? Implying that, that somehow I could use it in my, you know, and, and should be using it more strategically um, to leverage, you know, professional whatevers, right? And I think that's what we, the dominant message that we're te- teaching folks in the workplace. And I think you're really right to look at, the organizational culture of the state government and not to just look at the single bad actor because what we know is that it's not about single bad actors that all of us have these stories and certainly this isn't the first um, bad actor that we've seen come out of albany vito lopez was another big story that we all saw happen and Mm -hmm. i'm sure there are so many more stories both big and small that just haven't come out of albany yet um, and Albany is probably not any different than any other state, to be honest. So, you know, we really have to look at this as a bigger problem. And for all of the pressure on all of the politicians, you know, let's put pressure on them to pass laws that are actually going to prevent harassment, not pass laws that are going to, you know, um, just play whack-a-mole with the bad guys. You've been listening to uh, to Driving Forces here on WBAI 99.5 FM, also streaming live at WBAI.org. I'm your host, Jeff Simmons. My co-host, Celeste Katz-Marston, is with me today. And we're speaking with Emily May, co-founder and executive director of the anti-harassment group Hollaback. One of the things, Emily, that's been going through my mind is just, you know, the fear that many people... Uh, because it's not just women, many people might feel in coming forward because they are afraid of retaliation or ostracism, you know, that and in government, uh, they, there could be the fear this could be the end of a career that I've wanted to pursue. How do you, you know, how do you counter that? How do you, you know, advise people that you need to step forward, you need to do something about this? Yeah, you know, what? it's really personal. Um, I, you know, and I think that those concerns, what we encourage people to do is not to say, oh, I need to intervene anyway, but to instead say, you know what, these concerns that I'm holding, I'm holding them because they're true, right? This is my body. This is my mind's way of taking care of me in this moment. So given, right, that I might lose my job, given that I might face retaliation, is there something else that I could do? And oftentimes, if you start asking yourself that question, um, and of course, we offer free trainings on bystander intervention in the workplace, little 30-minute primers. You can sign up on our website at iHollaback.org. But you start asking yourself that question, and you start to get better answers, because I think people have a valid reason to be worried um, that, that you know intervening in some way could be a career ending. I just also think that there's other options out there for folks, that they can still do something, even if they're not willing to put their name on the top of a medium post about what they faced. And Emily, I'm curious how you think uh, attitudes generally about harassment, either about doing it or about intervening in it or reporting it personally, have changed since sort of the rise of the Me Too movement. Uh, in, in the case of the allegations against Governor Cuomo, some of these incidents obviously are not yesterday. They might have taken place a year or two years ago. But do you think anything has actually improved or is this such an ingrained problem in our society that it's going to take us a really long time to see uh, the true effects of, of uh, efforts to change it? I think both. I think things have improved and we got a long way to go. Um, you know, I'll tell you, sitting on the front lines of this issue for the past 15 years, um, we have never seen corporations, government take it as seriously as we're seeing them take it now. Um, you know, we've been providing training on these topics for, you know, 10 years. And yet now we ha- our inboxes are flooded with corporations, government, colleges, you name it, saying, we've got a problem, we need help, right? Looking for training solutions and beyond. So, you know, I think I think it's a measurable change. I think the people are really taking this seriously in a meaningful way. And they're recognizing, too, that this isn't just about harassment that rises to level of, um, you know, being illegal. Because that's, frankly, a bar that's way too high to clear. But I think that, you know, 
way too, I mean, you can clear it, obviously, but way too high to clear on a regular basis, way too high to clear to really meaningfully address the problem. I think people are realizing that it's about what we call the spectrum of disrespect, which is, yes, on one end is, is harassment that is illegal according to law, but on the other end are things like microaggressions that are still going to chip away at who you are. They're still going to create an unhealthy workplace environment. They're still going to ensure that your women, your folks of color, your LGBTQ folks feel unsafe, unwelcome, and are ultimately not going to be able to do their best work because of that. Um, And so as this conversation has evolved, we've seen an increased focus on that, and I think that's very, very promising. And Emily, how can people find out more about you and the work that Hollaback does and uh, getting involved in, in dealing with some of these problems regarding harassment? Absolutely. So go to our website, iHollaback.org, I-H-O-L-L-A-B-A-C-K.org. Um, there you can get a free guide on bystander intervention. We have a ton of free trainings coming up to address harassment in the workplace, anti-Asian American harassment, um, harassment on the basis of gender, you name it. So we'd love to um, see more folks from the WBAI community coming on over, getting some free resources, some free trainings, um, and learn more about how you can intervene, right, and how you can do more than just not harass people, how you can actively create a culture to prevent harassment in your workplace and in your community. Emily May is co-founder and executive director of Hollaback. Emily, thanks so much for joining us today on Driving Forces. Really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. So you are listening to WBAI New York, Driving Forces here with Celeste and Jeff. And uh, we are going to take just a moment here to remind you that to bring you this kind of programming, uh, we need your help. Jeff, what do you recommend? Well, you know what I recommend. That's the, you know what I recommend. It's to support WBAI, but there are multiple ways you can do that. And the most timely one, and you know I bring this up every time, Celeste, yeah, yeah. is the face mask, the beautiful WBAI face mask that for a donation of only $35, I, I mean, I bought two uh, from BAI. I bought two others. The others, well, I can't use one of those words. It's one of those we're not supposed to say. I still use the WBAI ones. Uh, you can make a donation online. We make it so easy for you. These are wonderful masks. And as Celeste loves to point out, they come in black or they come in white. We know she prefers the, uh, because you only wear black clothes, Celeste. I do. And I have the black mask. I am looking at it as we speak. And it's really good. It's cotton. It's washable. Uh, you know, you, as, as Jeff said, you know, you have a choice of black or white. And this is a great way to help, you know, uh, to help keep yourself safe and to keep other people, people that you care about, safe during this period of COVID. We're going to be wearing masks for a long time, even though thankfully the vaccine program is rolling out. So for your gift of $35, give us the, you know, give us the chance to keep bringing you free speech, independent, non-commercial radio, and we will thank you. All you have to do is go to WBAI.org and click ways to donate. WBAI.org. Click ways to donate, and we will thank you for your support with this awesome face mask. And we're going to open up the phone lines now. Uh, give us a call at 212-209-2877. Let us know what you think about Andrew Cuomo and his latest scandal, 212-209-2877. We want to hear from you. Phone lines are now open, and uh, we'll be right back to take your calls after a short break. And Celeste is going to tell you who we're going to listen to right now. Yeah, we're going to hear uh, just a, a few moments of Lady Gaga. I think this is sort of related to uh, to what we've been talking about this hour. So this is Lady Gaga, Till It Happens to You. Give us a call, 212-209-2877. Tell me it gets better, it gets better in time You say I pull myself together, pull it together, you'll be fine Tell me what the hell do you know, what do you know 
To driving forces here with Jeff and Celeste. We're here with you till about six o'clock tonight. And we're talking about Governor Andrew Cuomo currently facing a scandal involving allegations of sexual harassment. We're talking about harassment. We want to hear from you. 212-209-2877-212-209-2877. What do you think about this scandal? What do you think about the governor's apology and his insistence that he didn't touch anybody inappropriately? What do you think about the culture of Albany? I think we have a caller on the line. We will welcome you to the program. WBAI, you're on the air. What's your name and where are you calling from? Yes, hi. My name is David. I'm calling from Queens. Hi, David. What's on your mind today? You know, I unfortunately believe that nothing will happen to uh, Cuomo. Um, And it's unfortunate because the way he carries himself, it's as if he can do as he pleases. I think he's very similar to Trump, but he's more intelligent and he has more finesse. He is a um, power-hungry maniac. He, you know, if you look at that video uh, where he, you know, he's, Pressing this woman to eat a uh, large hot dog, you know, on a bun. And, you know, the way he acts, the way he calls a waiter to him and with his finger and, you know, have her sit down. And, ha- and you know, he's forcing her to do something that she does not want to do. But you think that he's not going to suffer any consequences as a result of any of this? Uh, unfortunately, because people like that have friends. They get away with it. Trump has always gotten away with it. In fact, the phone call recently, uh, Trump mentioned that he gets very, he gets along with uh, Cuomo. He's very, he has a very good relationship, which I'm not surprised. Real quickly, when the pandemic began, it's a health crisis. Medical doctors, epidemiologists should have taken over the lectern. He took it as a way to promote himself mm-hmm. at the center. Mm-hmm every day and it's crazy he's power hungry he has a lot of friends in the democratic party gillibrand gillibrand is not saying anything anything specific men in powerful places like that persevere they get around it you know he's a bully he for my purpose he's a criminal what he did with the uh, nursing homes and the uh, bill that he pushed through to allow them to be immune for any prosecution, the mm-hmm. hospitals and nursing homes, his friend Dowling at Northwell, they're criminals. They're gangsters. That's what okay. they are, gangsters. They- and David, thank you so much for giving us a call uh, today. Thank you so much. And of course, Queen's Rules. Uh, we are going to take another call in just a moment, but let me remind our listeners of the number to call, and that's 212 209 2877. Again, that's 
212-209-2877. Let's go to another call. Welcome to WBAI. You are on the air. What's your name and what's on your mind today? Oh, where are you from, too? Yes, hi. My name is Babs, and I'm from Brooklyn, Brooklyn, New York. And I have a comment to make regarding um, Governor Cuomo. I understand that you are as good as your last performance. It seemed to be you can do a fantastic job, and there's always something, a possibility of something going wrong, and then everybody want to just cut your throat. I think he's... He has a right to due process. And as a female myself who worked with a lot of men, I think it's time that women start speaking up, saying to the guy, hey, leave me alone or else I'm going to do this. But to play along with it, to go along, be quiet, and then later on mention it. We're in 2021. I don't know what people are talking about anymore. You can tell your friends, you can tell your mama, your, 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 your father, why we can't speak up to the perpetrator and say something. Why is everybody so innocent? So, Babs, I'm curious, you given, given your position on this, I, I'd like to ask you a question. Um, yes, so the governor apologized. Uh, and some people thought that his apology wasn't really wasn't really good enough. They said he said essentially, "I'm sorry if I made anybody feel uncomfortable," but he's not really saying he did something inappropriate. Do you think that's good enough? Or listen, listen, we live in such serious times that I, you know, I, I accepted his apology and I support Como. We let DeBazio, man, DeBazio off the hook so many times. You cannot get through the nursing homes without the city. The nursing homes, the majority are privately owned. What about the owners who allow the workers to come in there who were contaminated? How did these elders get this virus? It has to be the workers. We never want to talk about the workers who have two, three, four jobs go from nursing home to nursing home. We didn't talk about that. Everybody wants to pretend it's the governor. No, what about up under the governor? There's accountability on all sides. It can't be just, I don't, I don't know. I don't understand society anymore. All I know is this, and I really believe this, that men are not going to be able to say anything to women. They're not even going to say, oh, you look nice today. Right. No, that's a, that's a, that's an interesting point. And thank you, Babs, for your for your call. We do have some other people holding, so we're going to jump on to the next call. But again, 212-209-2877. Do you think Albany has a toxic culture? Do you think this is just the way it is and the way it's going to be? 212-209-2877. WBAI, you're on the air. What's your name and where are you calling from? Caller, you on the air? I don't know, Reggie. You might have to hop over All to, right, the, we'll to the next All right, we'll go to the next one. caller. <laughs> okay, great. WBAI, you're on the air. What's your name and where are you calling hey, from? I'm Don. I'm from Brooklyn. Hey, Don. What's on your mind today? Well, I have a different point of view on all this, I think, from many of your uh, listeners. Um, okay. Let me share. Yeah. Um, so, where to begin? Um, you know, I'm the victim of harassment and abuse by both professors in college and many bosses throughout my career in the arts world and the fashion world. Uh, women bosses, I should say. Um, and I never talked out because, frankly, I supported them. I supported their careers. I believed in them. Um, I'm a feminist. I believed in their abilities, but they're human. You know, things happen in the intimacy of a work situation that, you know, I was not entirely innocent in, but, you know, they were the person with the power. So I never turned them in. And, you know, you show me anyone in the world who's a saint, and I'll show you a sinner, because people, good people do bad things. Everyone does bad things occasionally, you know, when... You're in a, in a crisis situation, and there's pressure, and there's intimacy. 
you know, things happen and people make misjudgments. So I don't think anyone would stand the scrutiny that, you know, of, of absolute perfection. Uh, I think too often that people, sorry about that beep beep, uh, too often mm-hmm. people accuse others um, with an agenda on their mind. It often is political these days. I see Democrats get taken down for things that, you know, Donald Trump gets applauded for. It's, it's offensive to me. I don't know. I mean, surely there are people who are vulnerable and people who are taken advantage of, men and women, gay and straight, of every color. But those who accuse uh, and who are perceived as being vulnerable or weak are often the ones who are being, in fact, the most abusive, in my opinion. So, Don, thank you so much for sharing your story with us here on WBAI today. I'm glad you provided this perspective. Uh, we've got only a few minutes left on the show where we would have been able to keep you on just a bit longer, but we've got another caller or two, I believe. Uh, if we've got another call, thank you so much, Don. Uh, we'll go to that next call. Welcome to WBAI. You are on the air. What's your name and where are you from? Hello. Uh, hi, you're on the air. What's your name? Uh, my name is Mitch. And Mitch, where are you from? Uh, I live in Brooklyn. I just we got said, Brooklyn a lot. Well, what's on your mind today? You know, it's, uh, it's, it's uh, like for time against, it's been told that men should be the aggressor. And this is the way, unfortunately, we all think. And it's going to take, uh, 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 change, you say, well, the changing... The culture is changing now. It's not that way. Women aren't going to be the passive, and we don't want you to be overly aggressive. So I think it's, it's going to have to be a learning experience, not only for him, for most men. Because if, you know, uh, we, we call it, we used to call it flirting. But now 